weeks, we've been covering the covenants. So what is a covenant? I think that we've kind of uh, talked about this from time to time, but what a covenant really is, is a well-known agreement between two parties. Both parties have to take action. It's going to cost them something. A quid pro quo of sorts. So in order for a covenant to be binding, though, both parties have to take an action of agreement. And that could be a handshake, a verbal announcement, or even a physical gesture, just to signify that that agreement is being met. And we can say that there was a time in the Western culture where we would put our trust in one another. A person's word was their bond. They would say it, and it would happen. The person giving their bond would actually rather die than go back on their word. It was a matter of integrity and honor. And one of the biggest reasons was due to the lack of a legal system in the Western culture. If you went back on your word, you were going to face imminent death. And so we have since long gone away from that. No longer does someone's words carry the same weight. Men and women have changed. We have, some would argue, evolved. That our culture has evolved. But I say at what cost? Maybe the cost of our integrity. But we cannot put our trust in people. I can tell you that we are amongst trustworthy people, but if you, if you don't know me, if you haven't experienced uh, spending time with me, that is going to fall on mute. That's going to be a point for me to try to make that. So I ask you, where do we put our trust if we cannot trust people? I would tell you it is in God. We can put our trust. And the covenants point to a faithful God. So after we have decided that we have nowhere to go, it must be that we can only put our trust in one place, and that is in the God of creation. But God never intended this old covenant to be permanent. In fact, the old covenant was established as a sign pointing to something new, something that was coming. And the Jewish people knew that there would come a Messiah. And he would abolish that old covenant that was made with Moses upon Mount Sinai. Galatians 3.19-25 through 25 says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by that law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak. Until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. 
Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Now the primary reason that God establishes the new covenant is because he knew our nature. He knew our inability to control that sin nature. And so God says that he is going to take this old law, the covenant God made with his people, and say this is a placeholder for a time that is predetermined. And the priests who would offer sacrifices for those sins of the people, they're flawed. And they had to be forgiven themselves. And this is the point where we ask, well, what can you do when the high priest is not right with God? What do we do if everyone around us has become corrupt and the integrity of the land is just a distant memory? Well, this actually happened to the Israel people in Jeremiah 11, 1 through 10. It talks about this account. And it says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, remind the people of Judah and Jerusalem about the terms of my covenant with them. He said, say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Cursed is anyone who does not obey the terms of my covenant. For I said to your ancestors, when I brought them out of the iron smelting furnace of Egypt, if you obey me and do whatever I command you, then you will be my people and I will be your God. I said this so you would keep my promise to your ancestors to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And the land you live in today. Then I replied, Amen, Lord, may it be so. The Lord wasn't done. He says, Then the Lord said, Broadcast this message in the streets of Jerusalem. He wants to remind the people. Go from town to town throughout the land and say, Remember the ancient covenant. And do everything it requires. For I solemnly warned your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt. Obey me. I have repeated this warning over and over to this day, but your ancestors did not listen or even pay attention. Instead, they stubbornly followed their own evil desires. And because they refused to obey, I brought upon them all the curses described in this covenant. Again, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I have discovered a conspiracy against me among the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And they have returned to the sins of their ancestors, and they have refused to listen to me and are worshiping other gods. Israel and Judah have both broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. You know, one of the greatest things about our God, some of the greatest examples I can use is the fact that he he is faithful, he is consistent, and he is merciful to us. Because God knew this was going to happen, so he had something in the works already. You could say he crock-potted a blessing. We see that in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12. He says, but when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach them their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. This new covenant is superior in three main ways. One of the very first ways that we can say that it is superior is that it offers us a new record. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Hebrews 12, 24 says, You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So in covenant terms, what this is is justification. This is the gift of the new covenant. There is a provision for the believer who enters into this covenant. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to the account of the believer so that the believer may stand before God completely free from any record of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 kind of elaborates on that, and it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Romans 5.18-19 says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Thank God for that. The second thing that the new covenant provides to us is a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So when we look at this verse in terms of the new covenant, this is regeneration. The use of the word heart is actually a common Hebrew idiom. It is referring not to the physical organ, but to the inner person. The immaterial or the spirit person. As opposed to the outer person, which is the physical body. So by means of regeneration, a believer is actually born again. So this is what happens to new converts when they are truly born again. This is why they become renewed, re-strengthened. You see their life just, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch a new believer come in and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Baptized in Jesus' name. And their life be turned around from where they are at. And this is because when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we become triumphant. We are filled with the Holy Ghost, and now we display the fact that we have overcome a spiritual death. And that was appointed. We can't escape the fact that that was appointed for everyone due to Adam's sin. In John 133, it says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John 3, 5 says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. John 
37 through 39 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me, and anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. The third and final thing that the covenant is superior in is the fact that it offers us a new life. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. What this is in the new covenant is sanctification. Sanctification is the natural and necessary outworking of the regeneration and justification. This is the continuation of growth on a daily basis in a believer's life. This is where we become conformed to Christ. Be more in his image. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 10.10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all time. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So this new covenant is better because it was established by Jesus who is better than the prophets through whom God spoke during the days of the Old Covenant. And Jesus is also superior to the angels through whom the Old Covenant was given to Moses. The New Covenant offers an infinitely superior revelation of God. And Jesus is actually God himself in human existence. Hebrews 2, verse 5 through 18 says, And furthermore, It is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? But yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under the authority. What we do see, however, is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. And yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should be... He should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people, he also said. And I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children of God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, that's us, we know that, we know this, this truth, and the Son also became flesh and blood, 
For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to just help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. We are preparing to go into a season where we will remember this child that these verses are talking about. This Christmas season is, is a period of time in which we can remember the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all he has done for us. And he came out of the lineage of David, as prophesied about. This child who was born in not in a palace or in a beautiful hospital, but instead was born in a manger. And if you're like me, you can remember Christmas time at your home and your, wherever you lived. You can kind of remember those times when you would maybe watch the Christmas story or whatever you watched that reminded you of Jesus Christ's birth. And you can look and you can remember it was like tranquil. It was nice. It was sweet, right? And there was this manger set. You could see how it was just perfect. But our king didn't get, didn't not birth, was not born, birthed like that. I'm sorry. He was not born in this way. He was not born perfect. He did not receive that perfect birth that a king should have, right? And the thing that we can remember in this season is that he laid down his life for us so that we may be free. And that is what we are talking about when we are talking about the new covenant. Isaiah said that he would be the prince of peace and the government would rest upon his shoulders. And yet Jesus was born in the fashion we would not suppose a king to be born into. Yet it was God's way of telling us he was interested in, in us and less interested in this world. There was something else coming. He knew that there was an eternity for us. We can't lose sight of that during the Christmas season. And his prize was not, not this earth. He was come to redeem us. And the old covenant had kept that curse at bay year to year, and it was becoming inefficient. And this was enlarged due to the fact that God wanted relationship and not just a legalistic, complacent type of worship. I'm finishing. Musicians can come up. The thing is that the old sacrifices and the old covenant were not cutting it anymore. They weren't good. They had placed them on the altar too many times without considering their heart. The priests weren't holy anymore, and they had become hypocrites. And our Savior was robed in flesh and chose to die for us, and in doing so, he became the high priest that we desperately needed. He mediated the release of the captives. He released us from our bonds. This king of glory is the triumphant king, and he has offered you and I the ability to enter into this new covenant through baptism of Jesus' name and the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're here today and you have not yet entered into this new covenant, 
you have not yet entered into the baptism of Jesus' name, I would implore you to make this choice. Make a stand to say that my Savior is worthy. That I am going to go into the baptism of Jesus' name. If you are listening online, I implore you as well that you would understand this is a choice for us to go into the new covenant. God will be faithful to you. If you choose to enter into this, he will sanctify you. He will justify you and he will regenerate your life. And then he'll give you power through the Holy Ghost. Oh, he is worthy. If we can just take some moment and just begin to praise him, worship him as we enter into the season of worship.